0: I just want to share some concerns I've been hearing from some people about this year and this Christmas. They're telling me, a lot of people are telling me that, um, you know, Christmas just isn't coming much this year. It's, it's, it's empty. It's about, it's kind of like, you know, this stocking that I found over in the Christian Education Building. It seems like Christmas is kind of empty for a lot of people. What um, people are telling me what they really enjoy what we really enjoy about christmas isn't happening this year you know the big parties the big concerts the huge overflowing breakfast with santa uh, the 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 kids extravaganzas packing into the movie theaters on right before christmas or right after christmas for the latest christmas blockbuster children's christmas you know, mega movie. We're just not gonna have that this year. And some people are concerned because of, you know, with all the COVID restrictions and the international travel. Uh, I just got a report this morning that uh, the EU is banning travel from the UK into into, uh, the EU or several of the EU countries over Christmas and heading into New Year's. There's concerns about whether the stockings will even be filled for Christmas. So that begs the question, doesn't it? Um, what do you enjoy about Christmas? What carries your Christmas? What carries Christmas for you? Actually, Amy, right before the service today, gave me this beautiful ornament that she created, and uh, seems pretty small, doesn't it? This little white figure all wrapped in swaddling cloths, could he carry Christmas? I mean, you know, what do you enjoy about Christmas? Speaking of carrying Christmas, we're going to go ahead and pray and open with a key scripture, which we will uh, read in context later in the sermon today. We're going to be turning to, uh, to begin to Luke chapter 1. Verses 46 and 47. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, we ask that you would bring us alive in praise, in magnifying and glorifying you, and in enjoying you, finding our real Christmas joy in you and in your son, especially this year. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the sermon today is, Are You DOA or Alive in Praise at Christmas? Are You DOA or Alive in Praise at Christmas? And our opening scripture is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. I invite you to hear God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You want to talk about carrying Christmas. Mary was carrying Christmas because I'm here to tell you today that uh, it's not about Santa Claus gifts. It's not about Christmas movie blockbusters. That's not what carries Christmas. It's not the big parties with the big feasting and feting. It's not all that. It's not the special cookies with the little sprinkles on top. (laughs) None of those things carry Christmas. Christmas itself is the incarnate one who was born of the Virgin Mary. And Mary, carried Christmas by the providence of the Lord, he ordained it. I'm delighted today. I saw that our children's worship bulletin for children who are with us in this service and definitely for those who will be with us at the 11 o'clock service. uh, The children's bulletin today is focusing on uh, the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary in Nazareth. And uh, we, we turn to this the, a passage of Scripture that Luke gives us, that, that gives us this, this message of God's proclamation and word, commonly called the Annunciation, the Annunciation passage in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Now, as this crazy year draws to a close, I hope and I trust that you hit your mark for 2020. I mean, it is about time to be doing those types of assessments, is it not? We're only a few days away from the close of this calendar year. Did you reach your goal this year? What goal was that, someone may be asking me? To survive the pandemic and live another day? No, my friend. Surviving to live another day is about the level of a slug. That's that's the slug's main and chief purpose, is to survive and live another day. Maybe a not very ambitious worm might be at that level too. But you're not a worm, are you? You're not a slug. You're made in the very image of God. And to be in a holy and blessed and living relationship with him. We have a much higher purpose. Why do we exist? What's your raison d'etre? Why are you here? Why is God giving you life here on earth for a few years? We already affirmed it earlier in the worship service, didn't we? That great response to the first question of the Westminster Larger catechism, we get the slightly shorter version with the shorter catechism. Highest and primary purpose, our chief end, our goal, why we are here is to do what? Come on, Christians, what is it? To glorify God and to enjoy him completely, fully, forever. To glorify God, to magnify God to magnify God, you know, in going through the scripture, the the familiar scriptures of the birth stories in the gospels again this year, it really struck me that, of course, as you're probably already connecting the dots here, the opening of what's called Mary's Magnificat gives us the answer to the first question of the catechism, right? My soul, magnifies, if you're reading in the NIV, glorifies. My soul glorifies. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. If you want a couple verses from the scripture that hook directly to the answer we teach our children, and we remind ourselves as adults, to what is our main purpose in life, just go to Luke 1, 46 and 47. Are you hearing it? It's right there, to glorify God, to magnify God, and to rejoice in him, to enjoy him completely forever. But wait a minute now, you know, this this response always begs a couple questions from some folks, you know those kind of folks out in the crowd, right? Uh, Does God need us to glorify him in order to be great? Or is God pretty great, but he needs needs his fans to get him over the finish line? No, absolutely not. He's not dependent on us at all. God is glorious and glorified already completely in who he is before all creation, beyond all time, and certainly beyond creatures like you and me. But God, by his grace... By his grace, elects and calls his children into a life, a living, of glorifying him and enjoying him. It's for our benefit that we might live in the Holy Spirit and flourish and be fulfilled. You know, I'm reading all over the place that there's so many people who struggle with fulfillment and and with purpose in life, and particularly in 2020 with the COVID pandemic going on. What does it mean to enjoy life? Well, to be really alive and to really know enjoyment is not about Christmas stockings. It's not about a movie. This brief maybe tickles our fancy of happiness, But real joy, living joy, eternal joy is to be in that communion with God and to glorify him. Now, you you know, you think about it. So to glorify God or to magnify God and to enjoy him, to rejoice in him, those two things come together in a central word in all the Bible. And that is the word praise. 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 If you've been with me on Wednesday nights, of course, you hear from me otherwise pretty commonly. You know the Hebrew name, title, for the book that we call the Psalms is Tehalim, praises, the praises of God's people. That's why the Psalms are so central at the very heart of God's word for us written and, you know, you could say, well, yeah, but pastor, there are a lot of psalms where people are really upset and they're kind of saying bad things because their enemies or even friends have betrayed them. Yeah, there are over 60 psalms that involve lament. But as we've seen in our Wednesday night studies over the last number of months, they always, in each book of the psalm, always moves ultimately to praise, right? To the praises of God's people, even in a pandemic year, even when people that we know and love die suddenly, even when the economy and the politics of our nation and the world seem to be teetering and tottering, there we find the real union and purpose of our life in glorifying God, rejoicing, enjoying God in praise. So, Back to the question of the sermon, are you dead on arrival this Christmas or alive in praise? I want to invite you to be alive in praise. I can tell you a lot of things of this world are pretty much dead on arrival. The things that the world tries to produce to pull off Christmas, you know, the secular Christmas, they're kind of frizzled out this year, aren't they? They're not doing real well. The secular Christmas is not doing real well but the real Christmas that you and I can rejoice in lives brighter than ever. God invites us to enjoy him for our benefit and to come together in praise. Praise. Um, in C.S. Lewis's book, Reflection, Reflections on the Psalms, he goes ahead, Lewis, it's kind of interesting, you know, Lewis is pretty open, uh, pretty transparent at various points, and he tells us that even after he moved from being an atheist or agnostic to becoming a Christian, he still struggled with this fact that speaking of the Psalms, so many of the Psalms, as well as the rest of the Bible, but definitely in the Psalms, it's repeatedly we're commanded to praise God, just like we're commanded to love God. And Lewis admits you know, even though I now believed and I was born anew in Christ, I struggle with this concept that why is God commanding and compelling us to praise? That, That seems out of joint. Then he said, I started thinking about it, and the obvious occurred to me, that the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praise the most, while cranks, misfits, malcontents, complainers, they praise the least. You'll find that in your life, right, out and around in the world, right? There, there's, there's, there's uh, broadly speaking, two kinds of people, right? People who praise a lot and people who complain a lot. You know this, right? And, and he goes on and he says this, people spontaneously praise whatever they value. And he talks about the fact that people who are lovers of music, right, praise great music. And they want to tell other people about it and they call other people to say, let's applaud that, right? People who love sports, that's what they get excited about. Man, they will clap and praise. It's so interesting to me always that so many Christians will say, well, we can't do anything demonstrative for God, but we sure can for our favorite team, you know, or if we get excited about shopping or going on trips, that's what we praise, or if we love food, we talk about food, and we've, wasn't that just an awesome dinner, and we talk about the food, we talk about the food more than we'll talk about Jesus Christ in some conversations, surprisingly enough. He said, people spontaneously praise whatever they value, Lewis says, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think that was magnificent? It says the psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all do when they speak of what they care about. Have you seen my granddaughter? Isn't she? <laughs> Look at her. Hey, let me sh- let me show you this video of her singing. You know, we invite others into this communion of praise. He said, my general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do, what we indeed cannot help but doing about everything we actually value. How does Jesus rank with you at Christmas? Is your Christmas dead on arrival? Or are you alive in praise? Lewis goes on and says this. This is really why I pulled this out for us. I, I, this, this is strong. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Praise not merely expresses but completes, consummates the enjoyment. Praise is enjoyment's appointed consummation. We delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Um, So back to our catechism, right? glorify God and enjoy him completely forever you're not going to enjoy him if you're not alive in praising him and the Holy Spirit will bring that to us God certainly deserves our praise but in commanding us to praise him he's inviting us into what Christmas is all about And it's what we yearn for at Christmas, right? A joy that transcends the moment and certainly that transcends 2020 and takes us to something that lasts forever. Um, In looking at this key passage from Luke 1, 46 and 47, I also turn to, um, and I'll I'll go into this, but... uh, um, The the word that is used for rejoicing here, or uh galeao, is used again by Luke one other time in Luke's gospel. And it comes in a description of Jesus. When the 72 who've been sent out return, and they say, we have cast out demons, and the kingdom of God is prevailing. And Jesus says, I saw Satan falling from heaven. You may remember that if you, if you know your New Testament pretty well. And then, and then right after then, Jesus in Luke 10, 21, we read this in Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus rejoiced, saying... Same root as 147, the opening of Mary's Magnificat. At that time, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. You see this connection with the Holy Spirit? Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and declared, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth because why because you are holy you're awesome your elective sovereign grace is beyond what we can even comprehend and we're not upset by that we don't fail to believe in you and have a bunch of arguments about it in sunday school classes for the rest of our lives we rejoice in this that you turn the world upside down when you choose when you save when you extend your grace I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. God chooses whom he will. And God turns the world upside down. God did not choose the princess daughter of the high priest of Jerusalem in her palatial estate to send his son to save and redeem Israel, his people. Did you catch this? God chooses a little teenage girl in a never heard from town, not even mentioned in the Old Testament. She's not even married yet, she's betrothed. Whoever heard of Mary... What kind of house was she living in? Probably, you know. You, you go to you go to Nazareth now. You see those little remains of the houses. <laughs> they're 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 puny. They're not a big Santa Claus celebration, right? That that was not her context. So, what about you? Dead on arrival or alive in that good news? Do you rejoice in God's incredible? Turning the world upside down, Christmas gospel. Well, let's turn again to this passage. I'm going to read through the larger context and just reflect. We can't dig in, of course, very much, but we can, we can talk a little bit about some of the things here. I want to go ahead and remind you of the whole story here. Picking up at Luke 1, 26 and moving forward, this begins what's called the Annunciation, the Annunciation. And let me just tell you this, I, I, back in 2008, back in 2008, um, I had moved from my church in Georgia to uh, take the call at the church in Hilton Head. I had already arranged earlier, way back months before, that I was going to take my mom to France after Easter and during what would be spring break. Um, it's her first time ever to France. And, and, the incred- and by the way, we got to use frequent flyer miles in March because the deal was in 2008, Christmas was almost as early as it could come. It was on March 23rd. The earliest Christmas can possibly come in the Gregorian calendar is the 22nd of March, but that only happens about one every, I don't know, five 600 years. It really only happens about one every 100 or 150 years, I think, with March 23rd, but what that meant is, in in the church I was at in in Hilton Head, we had morning services and evening services, so I preached on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the, I mean, it's the make-or-break miracle that basically, you know, basically, are you a real evangelical believer or not? Do you believe in a couple things? The virgin conception of Jesus and his being raised from the dead, okay? So I preached on the resurrection through Sunday night because we had a 6.30 Sunday evening service on Easter. Um, so I'm preaching. The, the next morning I get up, I pack my stuff, and I go to Atlanta to meet my mom, and I fly. we fly to France. And uh, we're in Paris, um, and we arrive because you know how you, you, the, the day moves forward, right? So we leave on Monday night, the 24th, and we arrive on the 25th. And, of course, I had already, I, I kind of knew this with the trip. We, the reason we went on the trip at this time was because we could bank in more on frequent flyer miles in March to go to Europe than we could once you get into April and May. You know, it's more expensive with your frequent. So, but, but the key was, it, this was our chance to go. I could go pretty early in the year. Easter was incredibly early, but I knew this on the calendar. And what was on the calendar? March 25th, right? So, this is the day that the church traditionally celebrates the Annunciation, right? Nine months before Christmas, you catch that? So we go to Paris, so the, the, my mom's first thing going to Paris, other than we take a train and get, get our stuff, I put our stuff in a hotel room, and then we go to Ile de Paris, and we go to Notre Dame and it's late afternoon heading into the evening, and they are having their Annunciation of the Lord services at Notre Dame. To me, just thinking about that this year, it's pretty staggering because there's no way that would happen right now, right? I mean, you just can't imagine. Notre Dame, half burned down. You know, it's going to take years to restore it, um, COVID, all the restrictions, everything else. This is the Annunciation. So the two great miracles, I mean, these are make or break miracles. You know, what we preached on, what I preached on a couple weeks ago, nothing is impossible with God. Yeah, virgin conception. Let me clarify now, virgin conception. The birth of Jesus, although, of course, we celebrate it, is not what is the key miracle here, right? It's the conception. Do you catch what I'm saying? He's born like any other baby. Now, I know there are angels all around singing and everything, but, but his actual birth, it's, it's not the virgin birth. It's the virgin conception. So all the way back to what we're reading here with the Annunciation. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Now, pause, like I said a couple of weeks ago, Zechariah is also called, is told John the Baptist is going to be called great. It's the next line that's key. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Like we said a couple weeks ago, Mary understands that Gabriel's not talking about, well, you know, in a couple years after you marry Joseph, you'll become pregnant, you know, by Joseph. She understands. We're talking about like now. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? There is the issue, the virgin conception. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here's a sign for you to confirm. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then the great response from Mary of humility and boldness. Behold, I am the servant, and that's in the ESV. If you look down in your footnote for the ESV, it's the feminine form of bondservant or bondslave, what Paul calls himself so frequently in his letters, a bondservant of the Lord. If you know your Paul letters, you'll know that. Same, same term. Behold, I am the servant, the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now we go to the visit to Elizabeth. And this is like in the same time period, okay? So it's a matter of days. And we know now Mary's already pregnant. So sure enough, we're talking about it, it said, the, word, the Lord sends his word, and it happens. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, who, remember, is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We know John's filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is now too. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. How's your Christmas? Dead on arrival or alive in praise? The baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let me just pause right here, some notes here. So, Megalune, Megaluno, um, my soul magnifies the Lord. Let me be very clear about this word. It is not impartative. It is a demonstrative verb. We do not impart any further glory to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's actually in the language here. It's not an impartative verb. It's a demonstrative verb. And what kind of demonstrative are we talking about? Quiet little well, I guess I have to say this, and then i'm going to really go out and do stuff I really like, like you know games and sports and um, you know shopping and hunting, no, no no, demonstrative, demonstrative. what does John do in the womb? And by the way, is John simply a fetus that we can make a further decision about? Is Jesus a fetus at this point no no, no. we 're talking about babies, babies in the womb, and John. The baby in the womb knows exactly by the Holy Spirit who the baby in Mary is and that Mary is carrying Christmas. Um, To make much of, not in a way of impartation, but in a way of demonstration, and my soul rejoices in God my Savior... from, right, agon in the Greek and haleo to leap, to make very much this joy. And in the same way, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, you've turned the world upside down. You've taken Satan down. And the high people and the proud people are going to be brought low. The arrogant and those who say, we are rich, we have all we need. Go to Revelation 3, right? We are rich, we have all we need. Oh, we're fine, Lord. No, 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 they will go away without anything. But those who come to the Lord with hungry hearts will be filled with his Holy Spirit. That's all that's being said here. And so Mary rejoices. And John rejoices, and Elizabeth rejoices. We'll keep reading. So why? Well, the world's turned upside down. This is the way Christmas actually works. It's not about who can buy the most, it's who needs God the most. (laughs) This this is what Christmas, it's, it's not the world's Christmas, it's Jesus's Christmas. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, those who fear him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. They thought they were so great, <laughs> they're scattered. Now, let me tell you, this is gnomic aorist in the Greek. It, it, it's saying it's already done. Even though we're still going to see it in motion, it's as good as done. He's already done all of this. Even though the baby's only a few days old. Do you hear what's... what's this, is the way, this, this is incredible prophecy that God is bringing through Mary. He, he's already done it. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. Now we're talking not just about Mary is encompassing God's entire outreach to Israel and ultimately to everyone who will come to him hungry and be saved. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Dead or alive this Christmas? To be alive is to demonstrate, to leap for joy. Not just to say, well, I guess I have to glorify him for a few minutes and say a few words. No, no, no. To to go crazy about this, to be set free in the Holy Spirit. This is Christmas. This is to be alive in Christmas. To praise God for who he is. Make much of and enjoy who he is. Number one, praise God based on and flowing from his word. You notice this is not a random thing. God has spoken to Mary and God by his Holy Spirit has brought the message to Elizabeth and even ultimately to John the Baptist. God's word of salvation. God's word of the Messiah pointing to Jesus, the Son of God. Number three, praise him for his total power Again, two weeks ago, I did a whole sermon on this. Nothing is impossible with God. He turns everything upside down, and he can save the worst of us. Praise the Lord, right? Amen. Those of us who are hungry. The way God turns the world and the world's expectations on their head, God's redeeming, amazing grace choosing. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And that's what I want to invite you into as we move through this week. Look, as we move through this week, just, just think about it. What, what, what is Christmas? What do you get excited about for Christmas? Is it this? Because this is going to end up being empty just like it is for a lot of people, unfortunately, this year. But, but, but you know what? This, this is not heaven, okay? <laughs> this, is not, this is not the way of heaven. This little bitty one is. And, and let me tell you something else. You want something to get excited about? You want to be alive in praise? These Bibles. I am rejoicing in God my Savior. I am glorifying the Lord. Because you know what? These are the Bibles. I'm still working on inscribing all of these. These are the Bibles that we are giving to these red rose mothers who chose life over convenience death who chose to be inconvenienced and who in in some ways may have ended up you know because of you know i mean it costs money it's 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 a challenge to have a baby maybe the stocking's not quite full for them this year but you know what the bread of life gives eternally and we're giving these bibles to these red rose mothers because you have a heart for him that's Christmas. Rejoice in that. You don't have to say, well, you know, because of the pandemic and all the restrictions, it's just not much of a Christmas this year. Oh, no, no, no. It's the best Christmas ever, and we'll celebrate that Thursday night. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.